publisher of New Observations Magazine, welcoming you to our show today and uh, introducing our guest, Dr. Lisa Paul Streitfeld. Hello, Lisa. Hi, you said my name right, which is great. It's great to to be here. It's great to have this conversation with you. Great to have you here. Um, Lisa is um, a very experienced writer um, art critic and artist, performance artist uh, predominantly, um, sh- author of two books, Hermeneutics of New Modernism and Kundalini's Daughter, um, and had her own um, Kundalini Awakening in 1983, which is um, almost 40 years ago, amazing. Her father was a pioneer in Kundalini research, and Lisa contributed an article to issue number 133 of New Observations magazine on reality. And when I heard the title of her book, uh, Kundalini's Daughter, I knew that she must have a connection to an old friend of mine, Lee Sinella, and it turns out that Lee and Lisa's dad were partners in their Kundalini research. So how about that synchronicity? (laughs) I couldn't believe it when you first contacted me, you mentioned him, and I'm thinking, how would you know? Because I don't think there's anything out there, um, or maybe only Lee's book, but I am a check recently, that... uh, mentions that they were actually partners in the Kundalini Clinic um, in San Francisco. I stayed there when I was in college in the 1970s, and that's where they were really working with people with Kundalini emergencies. So, I mean, I was sort of immersed in the destructive aspect of the Kundalini before I um, had it. I guess it was, you know, maybe six years later. It was actually at my father's funeral. Um, over his coffin, pretty much, that I um, was awakened. And this is a very interesting story because it was this woman, uh, he was working with this group of Raja Yoga. Do you know Raja Yoga? Uh, Tell us about it. Okay, Raja Yoga is the highest form of yoga. It's really strict. You know, it's very strict about what you can eat, um, it's a total like emer- uh, environment needs he wouldn't like eat anywhere where, where the energy wants it right so it really is is the strictest form of yoga it's a lifestyle and my father who um, is Jewish had this problem with women his whole life not, I don't know about women but with his mother the Jewish mother syndrome and so his story is very mythical that he he um, he was a leader in the human potential movement in the 60s. Uh, he was a neo-Reikian. So that was the, this era of, you know, uh, opening up. There's a very good documentary about this. It's called The Century of the Self. And that is really, and now there, and somebody just sent me today, it was very synchronistic, that there's a book out called The Breakthrough, that these were the psychologists of the breakthrough. So my father was in this wave um, where he started the East Coast um, 
in, uh, East Coast Esalen, basically. We went out to Esalen when I was a child where he did some workshops, and then he came back east and started his own growth center. So he was proud of saying that he was uh, every new movement, every new therapy that came through, he was on top of it. He would, you know, experiment with it and, and you know, create workshops at this um, growth center that he had. So I was like taken to encounter groups when I was just like 10 years old. And he was really actually the first pop psychologist where he was like on Mike Douglas show and these talk shows demonstrating encounter groups, which <laughs> really shows what kind of era it was. Such an exciting time in the early 60s. So that, so his story is that he, he experimented with everything that was the Western and then he it didn't solve his problem. So when uh, the gurus started coming through the doorway in the 70s, um, he was the first in line in San Francisco with his friend Stan Groff. He wrote about this, and they, uh, for Muktananda. So then my father's a Scorpio. He didn't do anything halfway, so he just got really, like, uh, he, he, he gave up everything. I mean, he left the family. He... Uh, everything behind and and just entered the ashram there he had an ashram in oakland and then um he got i don't know if he got disillusioned with muktananda i mean they worked closely together and that's where he really learned a lot about the kundalini muktananda was probably the most informed about the kundalini along with yogi bhajan who i met later when i had my kundalini awakening so um so he was, like, supposedly writing a book. Muktananda wanted him to write his biography, but that never panned out. And um, I don't know how it happened, but he ended up leaving the ashram, and then he was about to, uh, he was at a conference where he was going to, like, bring forth this knowledge that he had about the Kundalini. And I think, I don't, I think he never delivered it. All of a sudden he met this group of women, a group of Raja Yoga women, this is some kind of world spirituality conference in India. And these are women that just channeled directly from the creator. There was no male guru involved. And he just, like, thought these women were the ultimate. So that was his mythical story. From, like, having such a problem with his mother, he ended up saying the only way we're going to have peace in the world is if women rule. And these women were just so powerful so there was a, one, a woman there at the funeral. Her name was Sister Denise. I've never met anybody with such spiritual power. She just seemed to not even walk on, she seemed to walk on air, you know. And so she cupped her hands over my forehead at, this, at the funeral and to comfort me because I was really weeping. And, and that's it. I mean, you know, I didn't really connect that that was the beginning. That's what she did is open me up in that way. And But then it was like way many years later, 2008, after I put out this book, 2009, and I had this blog called connected to this book, Kundalini's Daughter, and Bill Broad of the New York Times, the chief science writer of the New York Times, contacted me and wanted to chat about my father's work. He was writing a book called The Science of Yoga, and I told him about this, Sir Denise, and... Um, he was investigating like Kundalini, who was the pioneers doing the work in the Kundalini, and 
he tracked her down and said she opened a lot of people in that way. I mean, it's called shakpat. Shakpat? I don't know if I say that right. Where, like, the guru does that. I mean, that's... The transfer of energy. The transfer of enlightenment. Yeah, exactly. So that's, like, what you do. You line up with the guru and then... But, see, this is also where it's very dangerous if you're not prepared for it. And I was working as a reporter in Mexico City, and, you know, I went back after the funeral... I remember I got very sick, and then I went back, and then I couldn't live in Mexico City anymore. I was so sensitized, you know. And I was, I, ironically, I was writing a, um, a, a report on pollution control equipment, and I was taking on top of the U.S. Embassy where they had the pollution control monitoring. It was actually a secret. They didn't want the Mexicans to know this. And so I actually had these secret reports of what was in the air in Mexico City, and then I was just like, oh, my God, you know. I mean, all of a sudden I was just so sensitized and I couldn't live there anymore. So that was sort of the end of my career as a reporter because, well, it's, that's another story. But, well, also another part of the story is that my father was saving to go to India, so he left about $5,000. So I have four brothers and sisters, so we each got $1,000. And they were, I think it might have been Sister Denise saying to me, inviting me to go to India at this conference in his place, but, you know, I just didn't want to go that route. I guess that was my rebellion, you know. And instead of going like that route of going to India and becoming part of these communities, I spent my money going to Argentina. It was just this feeling I had this instinct of needing to go down, you know, needing to go into the underworld. And Argentina was like that. I mean, it's the end of the world, you know. I actually ended up going down to Tierra del Fuego, the really end of the world. But um, but it was, you know, the year that they were actually uh, just broken free from the dictatorship and they had like a thousand percent inflation. So it was just chaos. So that's what I did is I, I made arrangements to go work as a reporter there, but it was just so hard to set myself up there. It was just so crazy. So that's when I wrote my novel. Uh, my first novel, you know, was set there, and that's where I wrote it, which was, I didn't think of it at the time, but now I could say, well, that was about my kundalini awakening and dealing with my father's death, you know. But, you know, I came back to New York, and I thought, oh, oh I'll sell this novel. It was the time of all this young novelists all my age. Bright Lights, Big City changes the whole kind of publishing world. But nobody was interested, you know. I mean, it was you know, I don't know why. It's just taken so long to get this kind of story of women's awakening um, through the collective. You know? Well, your father and Lee were um, very much a part of a whole group of amazing people in the 1960s who were ushering in, I hate to call it the New Age movement, but the science behind consciousness and spiritual awakening um robert right. monroe the eileen and peter katie with finhorn um lee has That's written right. um a book about all of his his friends his circle of people that he that he knew and um it's extraordinary when you look at this this group of pioneers um and of course his book on psychosis and Kundalini that he wrote in the 1960s is still considered 
to be a classic. You talk about um, um, Kundalini emergency events in people's lives, uh, which which that book is is about. And um, did you experience some sort of an emergency, or was it a relatively peaceful um, transition no, for you? No, it was 10 years of hell. I mean, in my life, would, every two months, something would change. You know, I know I'm ruled by Mars. Well, I got into astrology, and that really helped a lot. because once I At the same time? Well, in Argentina, I guess, I was really introduced to astrology because they live by it down there. You know, you have a thousand percent inflation, you can't make any plans. And they were just, they're so into astrology. That's where it really started for me. Um, yeah, and I came back and there was this well-known astrologer, very fatalistic, you know, um, that I went to in Argentine. And he goes, oh my God, I don't know what to tell you about your chart. And so that was, you know, that's where it came from. And it's, it's funny, right, that I uh, had this kind of roundabout way instead of like, why didn't I just look up Lee? But the thing is, I didn't know about Lee until I would say maybe even the early 90s. I didn't just, I discovered that book at a book um, convention in Southern California. At the same time, I, 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 I met actually this writer called Anna Deo. George, I think. She wrote a book called The Wheels of Life. It's just an extraordinary book on the chakras. Incredible amount of information and knowledge. Um, and she had an um, acknowledgement to my father in that book. And then, so that was this, and so it must have been the same day even that I, I find Lee's book and he has my father's case history in that book. So it was really interesting to read my father's case history in this book, you know, written by his, his partner. and But I didn't know about Lee. I don't think I knew about him before that. And um, Well, I just want to interject. Lee was a psychiatrist and ophthalmologist um, and Kundalini practitioner himself, um, truly a Kundalini master. And... Um, I, I met Lee because it turns out he was the uncle of my realtor when I bought my house in upstate New York. And we happened um, to be in uh, his nephew's barn and there was Lee's book on Kundalini lying there. And I said, oh, Kundalini. And Eric said, do you know about Kundalini? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, my uncle wrote that book. You can have it. And um, I I wrote to Lee as soon as I read it, and we began corresponding, and that's that was the beginning of our friendship. And when was that about? Um, nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, but I had been working with my Kundalini at that point for more than twenty years. Yeah. isn't it interesting when you you know we're both Aquarius, so it's hard for me to distinguish what is just being Aquarian and being so open from actual Kundalini. But I would say, you know, as an astrologer, I can really see these things in you know in terms of uh, patterns. Uh, I, I realize now it was in 1984 that it really hit me when you asked, was it smooth? You know, like what kind of experience was it? That's when Pluto went into Scorpio. 
And that was, um, and then of course, I do always have this instinct of sort of going to an environment to work out the internal um, internal dynamic. So that's where I was, 1984 in Argentina when Pluto entered uh, Scorpio. I remember, you know, I got very involved with like the social elite there. And I remember a dinner party and there was a man with this, really his skin was very pigmented and he was, he was dying of AIDS, you know? I mean, that was like the beginning, right? So Pluto and Scorpio represented AIDS. That was the same timing. And um, so that, you know, so that's when it was um, this, you know, it, it was just ferocious energy. And the, the, this is always the issue for, especially for women, right, is, is to control the energy, to channel it, and, you know, that it was for me, it was writing, always writing. But I also then became very psychic and where before I might have been intuitive, you know, I did start, I was when I, I moved to L.A. and I really did start taking classes and, in, in, you know, psychic uh, sort of learning how to harness it. You see, that would be the, the difference, right? I mean, how did that happen for you in the like terms of? Uh, you know, learning to channel the energy and not be so destabilized by it, right? Well, in in my case, I was really born this way, and um, it wasn't until I was 30 years old that I understood that everybody wasn't like this. So <laughs> my awakening, so to speak, really had more to do with the people around me. Um, when I when I was 19 years old, I was tested at Columbia University for right left brain hemisphere activity. And at the time, I was told that out of anyone they tested, my brain was the most balanced. And, um, and I processed things simultaneously on both sides of my brain. So at, at, at the same time that I'm analyzing from a, you know, logical point of view I'm analyzing from an intuitive point of view and it's been very helpful um, so I'm extremely organized and grounded but I'm also able to pick up everything around me um, as well well so you if you were tested that young and then you're told that see that would make a big difference I guess you know my, in my case I guess it was sort of like the cobbler's kids have no shoes that I, it was seemed to be the only person who could have helped me, you know, was dead, my father. Although, you know, what happened in the end is I became very good friends with a Sikh woman in L.A., and she was a family friend of Yogi Bhajan. You know, her father was a philosopher, a good friend. So I met Yogi Bhajan and then really got involved in Kundalini. That was pretty early, like that was mid-'80s. And so that's where I was learning to channel it. But yeah, I mean, see, that's the thing. If they would have more testing of these things, um, this is what Stan Groff always talks about, you know. So many people going into the psychotic state, you know, that is a kundalini emergency. And if they just weren't given drugs or weren't hospital, you know, if they were just had an understanding that that was what's going on, then they could really, you know, it's a shamanic experience, basically. But but in Western medicine just treats it as, you know, hysteria or 
traditionally like the Freudian idea of the hysteric is hysteric, you know, so you need, I mean, now it's just treated with drugs. I mean, this is interesting. Somebody just sent me today, a psychiatrist um, friend sent me synchronistically a new book about this breakthrough of psychology. Uh, I just, I mentioned it earlier, I think. Um, and it, it, the subtitle has to do with the fact that, you know, this was, this was the breakthrough of the 60s where these, all these uh, musicians, you know, and all the drug experimentation, like my father, one of his patients, I remember, was um, a member of the Mothers of Invention. I don't think I ever found that out if it was Frank Sasta, but, you know, so this is, but at the same time, it was the deep state was, uh, the CIA was, you know, involved in all this. And that's, of course, what's come out more recently is how the CIA was involved in all of this with the drugs, right? So I don't know if that has to do with the fact that, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, this it needs more investigation. I need to read that book, actually, that I was sent today because that that's the idea of, what what could have happened differently if uh i mean something happened where it sort of stopped as far as i can see from just investigating my father he he got involved with this group called Arika and that was an Andean mystic called um Oscar Achaso and that's that's before he went um to California and got involved with Muktananda. But this was where um, he wanted to take us all out of school and just immerse us in this Eureka society. And that's where my mother just said, no, I mean, this is ridiculous. But, um, but Oscar, what my, like after working um, on this for my PhD, investigating um, consciousness in terms of how the feminine was repressed really was my my um my focus um you know so the kundalini is the feminine energy so if the kundalini was still not really being um it's not i mean in the culture the word didn't hardly in the west western culture it was something imported from the East, but it's once it ever used, I mean, Jung, of course, would have started in the early 20th century. But when I was in LA in the early 80s, talking about my Kundalini awakening, everybody said to me, don't talk about that, it's dangerous, don't do it. And I'm going, it's already been done. I, I, you know, I'm looking for some therapeutic approaches. So I don't know. I mean, this is like, it's all caught up to me with the repression of the feminine, you know. Uh, I don't think you can separate the two. So and maybe that's why I had to go on this journey, you know, instead of like just being tested early and 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 realizing that this was like something very unique. I mean, the, the only way I could really write about it as a reporter, I did start writing about the left brain, right brain balance. That, that's acceptable. I mean, we're talking too about 10, 15 years ago, right? Um, and then I um, intentionally wanted to bring the Kundalini into the art world. That was before I published that book. Um, uh, well, the Kundalini is already in the art world. It's not, yeah, it's, it's, 
is 10 years ago. I mean, I'm not, you know. No, no, no. The Kundalini has been in the art world forever. Well, but the fringes, I mean, where? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, mainstream, you know. Well, I, I am too. I mean, um, all of these artists, the abstract expressionists, they're, they're all oh, working we with that energy. It's not like right. <laughs> it's I not know, like it's something idea. new. It's totally integrated. But they're no, I know. You know, the terminology of Kundalini. I mean, that's what I guess I'm talking about. Um, connecting it to because I mean. I don't know. It's sort of, to me, the goddess is forbidden in the art. Well, if you're talking about the Kundalini, you're talking really about the goddess. But maybe yeah, I... That was, I mean, you know, I mean, the, my friend used to say it's the G word. You know, it's the forbidden G word. So, I mean, I mean, I know Carolee Sheenan was doing it, but she had a hard time with that. You know, I mean, so this is what I'm talking about. Of course, we're talking about two different things. The energy existed, but, you know, I traced that. I did that in my uh, master's thesis. I traced it from Schopenhauer all the way up to my father. I mean, they all, with these men, you know, Schopenhauer was the um, philosopher of genius. So, well, come to find out, he was studying Hindu philosophy. And so then he comes up with the word will. He took it directly as the Kundalini, you know. The world is will and representation, absolutely. But, um, you know, the Russian constructivists were talking about the Odic force in the 1800s. I mean, this is not... Okay, okay. But that's my point, that these men, always men, develop a new word, and we're talking about the goddess energy. But then the men embed the new word, and then they're called genius. I mean, you can refute that, but I don't know. I've investigated. I mean, so like with uh, Reich, it was Oregon, you know, that his whole Oregon theory was basically Kundalini and, you know, on and on. Well, that's right? exactly the point I'm making. It's, it's, it's around, okay. it's been around forever. And all right, all right. I'm not saying the energy is <laughs> new. I'm talking about the fact that you know, let's call it what it is. We're talking about the feminine divine, you know. I'm not saying men don't have access to it, but, you know, you're not allowed to use the word goddess in the art world like it's an unwritten rule, you know, because men have been the ones that always determine the rules, right? So they can call, they're always going to be calling it something else, um, but this has all been the way, the plan, you know what I mean? I I do, I do, and I also have to say, I mean, women have been, um, we as women have been our own worst enemies, although I have to say I don't feel that I fall into that category because I've been deeply defiant from the time I was in grammar school, but, um, you know, we have gone along with all of this, and ultimately, in my opinion, our goal is to be gender balanced and just, you know, right. be, a, be a soul. I mean, the more evolved we become spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, the more we're in sync with ourselves and our divine purpose and, you know, don't get into this polarity and dichotomy and, um, right. you know, Democrat, Republican, yeah. whatever. We're We're being manipulated by, you know, 
I believe we're being manip- manipulated, <laughs> yeah, by the patriarchy, and and you know, and and not exclusively, but um, but yes, definitely. Yeah, but you can trace all this, like Jung. I mean, you're talking about, you know, my what I'm working with the theory of the Eros Gamos, right? Like uh, I've been bringing that into my art writing for 20 years now, and it hasn't been easy. I mean, you know, like to me, you and me, it's totally normal, right? Eros Gamos is the sacred marriage, heaven and earth. We're talking about, you know, a left and right brain marriage, right? But why has it been so difficult? I mean, that's what I want to know. Like we can sit here and say, well, of course, this is where we're headed. This is the Aquarian Age archetype, um, but it's been repressed. So what happened is I... Um, it's been complete. We have been complicit, though. Women have gone along with this. Well, it, way, hasn't, yeah. it hasn't been, you know, it hasn't been just, yeah, you know, patriarchy squashing us. I mean, women for so- social and economic reasons have been complicit in in all of this I, I for but that's what I call patriarchy you know I mean the whole women's movement you know let's become like men to me that's still patriarchy so this is like the whole journey is you have to you know, have to confront your inner patriarch right yeah but, autonomy is a totally different space and place you know right. individual autonomy is is something else again but I'm, I'm, which, I'm saying, yeah. I mean, which hopefully saying, is what we're all aiming for, regardless of our of our gender. Do you know I what mean, I mean? But then, so what's going on now with transgender? I I thought, okay, I look at every new kind of wave, and I go, okay, this would be one. So now it's transgender, but they don't believe these people. They're not talking about inner balance at all, and I've confronted them too. I mean, because it's all tied up. I mean, what's going on? So this is where you get into, like, what the sinister underpinnings of all this, right? Why is this transgender movement being supported by huge amounts of money, but nobody's speaking about the need for us all to become intergender, right? Um, The balance of male and female. So this is what what I'm talking about. Like, how did this, you know, how... Yeah, it's you know I I study with deconstructionists. That's my PhD was at European Graduate School. So this was the deconstructionists, um, you know Foucault and Derrida. Their um, their proteges, you know, were my teachers. You know, so this is what I did. You know, you 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 just find those gaps and you go into them. And how did this happen? And I could say very, you know, very clearly what happened with Jung. Uh, and this is, this is also not being discussed because now the Jungian societies have a lot of power. They have a lot of reach. Um, you see Jungian women, they seem very together. Yes, it's, it is with Jung. It's still about balance of inner and outer. But Jung is a prophet for the new age. He was totally repressing the dark feminine. And, I mean, um, in 2011, I went to the Venice Film Festival where the uh, the premiere of A Very Dangerous Method, Cronenberg's film, I mean, this was like the beginning of the unraveling of all that. His, his love affair with Sabina, she really, she was a hugely successful case of a woman who was considered hysteric 
and she went through a total transformation. She was having a kundalini, you know, it was kundalini. And she became a, the, like the first uh, psychotherapist. So, you know, but why was she so repressed? I mean, you know, there was a play about her in the, um, oh, God, in the 90s in New York. It was amazing. It was such a revelation for me that this woman existed. I mean, she, and, and I can tell you now because I did the research, the reason why she was repressed, well, first of all, she was Jung's partner in starting this um, a new, you know, when he broke with Freud, he had a total breakdown, but she was his uh, guide in the unconscious. And they had a Eros Gamos, definitely, you know, they were in the Eros Gamos and developed a whole new school of psychology, the school of archetypal psychology. But I found this out through, um, you know, sources that uh, his wife threatened to leave him if he didn't stop the affair. And his wife really had a, the money, you know. There's, he had a very nice lifestyle for somebody who was doing cutting-edge work. And so he had to break off the relationship. But even after they broke off, she re-entered his life, and she encouraged him to do the Red Book. Well, do you think in any of these expositions of the Red Book, you know, that this comes into the equation? No. I mean, this is still not being talked about in the Jungian world, you know, that he... Well, it's, stan- it's standard practice. Um, Henry James took whole, you know, paragraphs from his sister, uh, Alice, and right, made them right. his own without uh, giving her credit for them. Uh, that, you know, um, Colette <laughs> is another great case yeah, in point exactly. where her her yeah. books were written under her husband's name published under her husband's name and and he sold the the rights to them without her knowledge even so luckily she wrote many more but you know this is but Sabina this is not new tragedy. no i know but you know Sabina and and these women tragedy. you know went along with it is my is my point you know, ultimately they rebelled, but um, th- these cases we've I mean, the men described have the, the money. I mean, the mo- men have the economic means. I could just, you know, like I've written a lot more than I've published. I mean, that's really what my story is about. It's it, the men have the economic means to now. Of course, everything's changed with the internet, you know. But we're talking, you know, I'm old enough that. Before the internet, it was very controlled. I mean, publishing still really controlled. You know, I mean, it's for corporations control publishing. So, I mean, I still can't get my books published through like mainstream publishers. So, this is this is what we're talking about. It still exists. So you say, why are women complicit? Well, yeah, you're right. At this point, why are they still complicit? I yeah, they shouldn't be. Yeah, well, I think they're not really even aware of the problem is what I think, you know. They really don't know. If if you're not, um, if you didn't have a kundalini uh, experience, it's all just, you know, spiritual mumbo-jumbo, I guess, right? I mean, I guess that's what it comes down to. So the goddess, they don't even know they're repressing the goddess, right? Because that's what they're, you know... They don't have that in their experience. I would say that that would be the reason. Well, consciousness is on the move, 
and on the rise and um a lot of people are wa- are spontaneously waking up uh in multiple forms so a lot you know we're living in a very interesting time well this year especially uh, speaking from an astrological point of view uh this is a year this is the big transition year um the total real breakdown of the patriarchy um you know one thing after another you see it you know the weinstein trial is really amazing i mean what's coming out with that um jeffrey epstein yeah jeffrey epstein you know the royal family this whole Meghan markle thing that's very like that's a huge thing because she she was a yoga practitioner, you know, and then she goes into this, you know, I'm sure this, these, those castles are haunted. They're just full of kind of demons. And, it, you know, she seems like she's possessed. So we're talking, you know, these are issues, you know. I mean, the fear is opening up because, you know, you, you've talked about that in our previous conversation about the danger of possession. It's very real. I mean, I saw that in uh, around the 90s in L.A. It just seems it's everywhere, this kind of vampirism, possession. Yeah, that was one. Yeah. So this is this is a danger of opening up if you don't have a, a really grounded life. Um, you know, once you get possessed, that's really, you know, hard to, uh, I mean, you need a real exorcist at that point you know so yeah i i agree and the arts are of course part of the way that all of this is spreading you know through music and entertainment it's wild to the dark yeah the dark arts the dark side of it it's um it's extraordinary to turn on the super bowl or the olympics and you're basically watching an occult you know a dark a dark occult ritual uh, right is, there. That is, yeah, that's really extraordinary because I've been tracking this for so long as a just as a reporter, as a writer, and I remember saying to a curator in um, in the '90s, like, why aren't there more artists working with symbols? And I didn't understand it because you know when you were when I was working with the occult, it's all these you know symbols, and that is empowering, and uh, it's it's transpersonal, you know, symbols. She said, oh, because they're so dangerous, which was really astute of her. And then, like, before you know it, it's all over the uh, in the entertainment world. Um, and, of course, that's where this whole conspiracy theories of the Luciferian, uh, Illuminati, and all this, um, and the codes, you know, covering the eye and all this kind of stuff going on. Um I guess that's the point. I mean, you know, there was sort of a vacuum of highly conscious people, and this is what came into the vacuum. I guess that's how I can see it now. And uh, when is it going to stop is the question. I don't know. I mean, it's... uh, I don't know. Like, with Marina Abramovich, I had an experience with her. You know, she had just come back to the... She came to the States to stay... We gave her an award at the Critics Association, and I met I met her in the uh, coat room. I guess that was maybe around 2009. Um, and I met her. No, that was like 2005. I met her in the coat room at the Japanese 
society. And I was holding the coat. She says, I'm not the coat woman. I really felt, I loved her immediately. And so I was writing about the symbolism in her work. She was using the pentagram all the, you know, from the beginning. She told me how she almost died within the circle of the fire. And this doctor came in to pull her out of the pentagram. And so I was, you know, I loved that because I was looking for this kind of symbolism. Of course, the pentagram is totally related to Venus because Venus has this pentagram cycle, and that's what the Catholic, uh, Christians did, is made uh, the pentagram associated with the devil. And, of course, the devil is, that's, Venus is the devil then, because it's associated with lust and attraction. And um, so she seemed to be reviving that symbol, but she didn't seem to know about the connection to Venus, because I did a few interviews with her. And then... Um, you know, next thing I know, she's become this world-famous artist. Everybody seems to know her name, and she's working, she's doing this one hand over the eye. I mean, I don't know, you know, like, is, are, are they aware of what they're doing when they do that, or is she posing with that? Well, I don't really, I don't, <laughs> I don't really think her work is about um, Venus, and, and you're telling me that she doesn't, know about the connection to Venus is no surprise. I, I definitely think she's in the darker category, um, of, of all of this. And you can't, you can't talk about Venus and the goddess in the art world. So she said, Oh, all the girls. Well, she's talking about a lot of other things, Lisa, (laughs) you know, don't forget I'm talking about 15 years ago, you know? So, uh, well, yeah, it's been a while ago. I mean, I'm talking, you know, I haven't even really worked in the art world for 10 years now. I left the art world to, to work, uh, write about film because um, I forget why I left. <laughs> uh, because I saw what was happening, all these art fairs, it's all been, you know, bought out, essentially. The 1% now, like, controls the art world. I saw how that was all happening, and, you know, I, I said, you know... And so I left. I left the States. I haven't even lived in the States for 10 years. So a lot of what I'm talking about is not current. I mean, you can bring me up on what's current because I haven't lived in the States for over a decade. But, um, well, I'm talking about back then. I mean, I remember going to see Spiral Jetty um, Smithson uh, exhibit at the, uh, you know, wherever it was, the Whitney and the woman's talking about the spiral jetty, the, a female curator. She all she could come up with is northwest by north by northwest. That film. I'm, I'm saying like this is the oldest symbol of the goddess, the spiral. And then I said it to my friend Peter. I said, God, why can't we even talk about that? He says, Well, if you did that, it wouldn't happen. You know, I mean, you're not. You just weren't allowed to talk about it. So you can refute that all you want, but. I, I'm saying I was a reporter and I could see it. I mean, this was phenomenology I followed for a long time. But I don't know about the last 10 years. I mean, certainly I helped, did what I could to bring the goddess into the art world. I did this show called Black Madonna in 2009. Tell us about that. Tell, well, that was interesting because that was at the same time Bill Broad contacted me. I was putting up the show. And so the New York Times had moved, you know, to time, that Times Square, 8th Avenue, and this show was right, like, two blocks away. But um, he never actually got to see the show. But um, 
I can't remember what happened. He was also writing about missile systems at the same time, which is interesting, right? That he had all this. He was a real yoga practitioner, Bill. So anyway, uh, what happened is I got a mysterious sort of summons, a call to go to this gallery if I wanted to give a talk. And I gave a talk about the mythology of Obama's election. And um, I sort of put it into this whole archetypal sense which really sort of felt like what all the publicity, um, propaganda, whatever, surrounding Obama, you know, change, that he was like... Hope and change. Yeah, the new coming, you know, the second coming or something. And so I put all this together as a talk show. Well, it turns out the man that was sponsoring this was the direct descendant. He told me this as I was leaving the direct descendant of the founder of the Knights Templar, who even knew this person existed. But he, um, his, he went, goes by the name H.P. Garcia, but his name is Hugh Payans. So he has the same name as the founder. Only once in a generation to, somebody gets the name. So here is the direct descendant of the founder of the Knights Templar. He knew he could talk about this with me because I showed in my talk that I knew about this kind of thing. Now, see, that was, so then it was, it was then I said, wow, I found these amazing uh, photographs of Madonna, you know, like it was in um, Mark Wiener's studio. I go to look at his painting and these amazing photographs are propped up against the wall. And I go, what, who is that? He goes, that's Madonna. And she was, he took these pictures right when she was about to become famous. And, um, talk about kundalini oh my god and he they were solar prints and she was like doing spontaneous yoga poses i don't think she really was doing yoga at that time you know early 80s i don't know but it felt like you know anyway they're just saturated with kundalini energy and i go i have to show these I mean, nobody had he never printed them never exhibited them and so uh that's it. I told them, uh, I told Hughes about these, these, uh, these photographs, and we put the show on. And I, it was called uh, Black Madonna. And it was like 23 artists, like Carolee Sheenham's famous photograph of the serpent on her body was in it. It was an incredible show, but I tell you, it was like, he had, a, he had this gallery. It was in this building under construction. There was always a scaffolding on 8th Avenue, and then you go in, and he made it into a Templar's cross. It was, you know, that was the structure of the gallery. And then it became like this whole kind of occult experience because it was so hard to get into that gallery, you know, like you had really, even on opening night, you know, it was like these lines were outside, and you had to go up this elevator. I mean, it was like unbelievable. So Sounds amazing. It was amazing, and I, I guess I realized... It was really an undercover thing. I didn't always, I didn't really want it to be undercover. I was, and I was thinking, oh, well, maybe Madonna will find out about these photographs and she'll sue us. We'll get some publicity. Well, we had the image for the show had this big X across it, and I made that into performance where he made this big red X over her image. And that's, you know, and I had, then everything was converging at that point because I had met this woman named Margaret Starbird. Um, in 1997, 
And she, uh, her whole research was that she really believed that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married. Well, not maybe so much married, but I could definitely see they had a, uh, you know, Eros Gamos um, experience together. And so that's, she was so dedicated to this research and we became friends. And then I'm like, what I think it was about 2004 was the Da Vinci Code. And he was inspired, the writer of that novel was this inspired by her research. So she was thrilled. I mean, you know, he made tons of money and she was still pretty well un- unknown, although she, she did get some good, I think she did a, a TV special from that. Um, so that was becoming then more known that, you know, Jesus never intended this religion, Christianity, to be this repression, <laughs> exiled effeminine, you know. Um, and now, and then. Yeah, I, absolutely. So, yeah, and then now I've traced that, and then my new work, something that's being published by Switch on Paper, was the research I've just done in Cyprus. And that that's where Paul went. Paul. Uh, Paul the Apostle on his first mission outside of the Levant, he went to Cyprus. He was invited there by Barnabas. So this is where it all happened, where this repression of this old religion of the sacred marriage, you know, and the baptism came in, you know. So, uh, And the repression of the women who were leaders of the church at that time. Exactly, exactly. Paul was really the one. Yeah. Um, he was very much of a misogynist, and uh, that's how it happened. But, you know, I didn't know at the time I was doing that research, because I was even writing for the New York Times at that point. Yeah, that's what happened. 2005, they put out a call. Does anybody reach, read the Da Vinci Code? And I said, yes, yes, probably I was the only one who works for the Times that read it. And um, I interviewed this debunker of the Da Vinci Code, and I was like, and then it was being made into a movie by that point. So um, I even went up to where it was filmed at, um, I forget now, Rockland, yeah. Uh, that's where they thought the, 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 the uh, Templar treasure was buried. And so that's where they had the last scene of the movie. So if you go there and you get a tour, they'll show you this circle above the crypt, where you go down in the crypt. That's where they pasted... Uh, an image of the of this six-pointed star, the double triangle, which is the symbol of the Eros Gamos. <laughs> There's absolutely no symbolism there. If there was, it's been gone, you know, for many years. And so they put their own symbolism. Isn't that funny? But that oh, that's interesting. Was, yeah, they brought it into the collective. I mean, this is how this idea of the Eros Gamos got into the collective. And so, yeah, you know, again, by, with the man, right? I mean, um she would have loved to have been censured by the church, probably uh, Margaret Starber, but they just totally ignored her work. So then it becomes this popular work of this popular thriller, you know. So that's sort of how it all, I'm trying to tie it all together. Uh, but it does all sort of work together because that's the thing that there was this Eros Gamos, that's, that's the myth that comes... All right, now I can bring you to where we're at now. So that's the myth that comes up every 2,000 years at the start of a new age, right? A new astrological age, right? So 
that's what this is what was what's going on now or like in the last well in the 21st century has been what was happening also before the christian era all these different kind of creeds fighting for dominance you know and the total breakdown and the whole the luciferianism coming in and which then created you know the opposite with christianity but of course christianity um places satan outside right as opposed to them i've been studying now mithra there's an incredible um uh, Iranian American philosopher who's just like gotten a lot of attention, Jason Reza Georgiani, who's written this amazing book about um, uh, Iranian Leviathan, he calls it, and that's about Mithra and also about. So that's the idea. Mithra is, you know, the androgynous uh, male-female integration of opposites, but it was Christianity that really separated out Satan. You know, so now we have, you know, in the U.S., it's really where it's all happening, right? The the uh, Christians versus these Luciferians that control this the entertainment world, right? And it's sort of in, infiltrated into the art world as well. So here you have the opposites right there. So now it's time, like, let's put the opposites together. And that's that's the icon of the age of Aquarius, you see? Well, um, <laughs> integrate, accepting and integrating your shadow side, regardless of gender, is what we all have to do in order to attain um, enlightenment. Right. And then so the shadow side of Aquarius, you know, and now with sidereal astrology, of course, follows the procession. And that's what makes a new age that the Aquarius rises at the um, spring equinox. Um, then you have the opposite is Leo. So the shadow is all this narcissism, the Leo. So that's where there's all this going on about narcissism. In the, in the U.S., it just seems rampant. Um, and that's because that's the polar opposite of Aquarius. So we have to balance the two, you know. But um, So the idea of the Aquarian being the empath, and then the empath attracts the narcissist. You know, well, right. if, if you're attracting a narcissist, you need to work more on your inner, on your inner narcissist. <laughs> no, but, you know, so, so, yeah, I mean, no, this is the year where definitely the change is happening. Finally. I mean, I'm sort of feeling like, God, it's awfully late, you know, I mean, the whole breakdown, the destruction of the the planet, you know seems really late. I don't know why. I feel like it took an awful long time for... And you're right. I mean, women were complicit. That's for sure, you know. But that's what has to change. Without women, it's not... No, women are, are, you know, the balancing factor for sure. The... the, you know, all that's positive um, in, in women and the divine feminine is is yeah, necessary I, to ba- to balance out. Um, I mean, Trump, to my mind, is just the personification of of what's wrong with male domination. He's almost like a a cartoon character. Uh, it it's 
It's right. hysterical. So, He's well. The U.S. He, needed that, right? I mean, obviously. Yeah, we created him. We yeah. we absolutely brought him into being in this way, um, and I suspect had had somebody gotten a look at his tax returns, um, this would not have happened in this way because we would have understood the public would have understood that his economic empire his business empire is based on you know a house of cards um but he he what he did do was took control and um and presented himself in an in a new way in a way that people had not seen um the way he went after bill clinton in the debates and used Used the women again. Used Clinton's accusers. Um, he was absolutely uh, not necessarily that he was the strategist, but whoever was the strategist, and no doubt nothing was done without his input. He really played the the perception role, uh, or it was played in his campaign very well. And um, it was it was done with smoke and mirrors. You know, he was able to manipulate uh, the public, well, a portion I, I, of the a portion of the public. I was a reporter in Latin America, so I'm sort of used to that. It's like you know, that's what I was writing about in Argentina. You know, they need that codillo, is the word in Spanish, that will like, you know, bring the country, the nation together. Well. It just didn't happen in America yet. But that's a sign of breakdown, that they need the strong figure. And again, back to astrology, it has Leo rising. So we're dealing with, you know, he has the strength. Yeah, and, Gemini with Leo rising. Yeah. Well, and he's a Uranus on his son, which makes them, when they, they say a Uranus on your son makes you automatic Aquarian. So I'm not like, a, I'm not like railing, on, I'm, that's why I left the U.S. It's like, I'm not like going on that bandwagon of putting down Trump. I think he's exactly what is needed for the time, you know. And I agree. He's supposed yeah. to be motivating us and and he's not mo- you know, it's not no, we are not no, standing up in the way that we need to be standing up. Well, that's one way of looking at it, but the point is, I mean, he's the breakdown. I mean, he's he's Yeah. what's needed to show that everything is broken down. I um you know, everything's broken down, the whole, right. the whole system in America. So that's now it's abundantly clear. But they also have somebody to blame. Well, Trump is a symptom. He's not a problem. I mean, the problem existed long before Trump. Right. So then exactly. I guess we full circle. All this breakthroughs in the 60s. Well, what happened? You know, I mean, I know the drugs pretty much took over. And I was warned about that by my father is a funny thing. I was going to Mexico and I go, oh, I can't wait to take some mushrooms. And he says, he got very upset with me. He says, don't you take drugs. You can do this on your own. He says, I took everything. <laughs> you know, the psychologists, <laughs> the psychologists were all experimenting with drugs then. You know, the, so, you know, now they're saying, oh, it was all CIA plot. I don't know, you know. And I would just did this piece on Paul is dead and, these Paul is dead people saying that he was, that was, um, 
you know, that the Beatles were engineered by Tavistock. You know, they go to all these extremes. It's just like, come on. I mean, uh, the CIA was definitely wanted to do experiments with drugs to find out if they could, you know, use that to control. Which, so as far as the, um, you know, what was coming out in music, you know, I can't say it was all culturally engineered. I mean, I've been investigating this. So, but something did happen. I mean, because things got very repressed again, you know, after that sort of like wave, you know, there was that Aquarian wave in the 60s. But that's the way change happens, right? It never is going to happen all at once. It happens like in a zigzag, like it happens in a big way and then it's pulled back. So you can like see see the waves, you know, was the 60s. And then the 80s was the women's spirituality movement that came out of the feminist movement. And that's where you had Gambutas talking, you know, I mean, that was the whole new way of thinking about archaeology, about these goddess figurines. So you could suddenly talk about the goddess in the 80s, even though that the art world wants it going for that. You know, like, there is like, they consider that new age and they didn't want to get involved and blah, blah, blah. They didn't want to be considered that. And so, you know, the thing is, well, we're, you know, we're experiencing similar aspects to the 1960s. Um, now we've been going through, you know, some repeats and Richard Tarnas in his book, Cosmos and Psyche talks mm. extensively about, the astrology and repeat patterns. Uh, unfortunately, today, we don't have moral leaders like we had in the 60s um, who inspired right. people and, and encouraged them to take action. So instead, we have um, people posting comments on YouTube or for an article and thinking that's activism. Well, it, it really isn't. <laughs> Well, but that's the point. The uh, CIA Operation Peacock, was it called? I mean, the CIA has made sure that no leaders, new thought leaders was going to emerge. There, You know, when you live in Berlin, you really like, Berliners understand all this. Americans are like so naive still, I think. And this is where they have to really wake up. You know, um, like... There well, the no education system has been deliberately dumbed down for the last for more than a hundred years. So people right. are being educated to be complacent and go along well, with course. the program. But also this, this program of the, uh, the CIA to like buy out, develop these shell organizations that would buy out any kind of new thinker. I mean, this is what's been going on. Small presses aren't bought to develop them, they're bought to shut down through some shell group by the CIA. So the, Berlin had an amazing show on this. So there's no way it would ever come to America. I forgot what it was called. It was unbelievable. I mean, that there was a man who was a CIA, working for the CIA, who had some unorganization, you know, I don't remember the name of it. And he, he developed conferences all over the world because they decided there needed to be a, a, um, 
you know, an ideology to combat communism because all the intellectuals were gravitable communists, right? Um, mm -hmm. So how so they created neoliberalism, and there was a sh exhibition about this that how they created neoliberalism. They created the stars, you know, and this is like was all planned. So there was a film about it that this man, you know, he created conferences. Well, who's not going to go to conference if they pay your way and pay you to be there and everything? And then as soon as they found out, you know, everybody, nobody wanted anything to do with them, you know. It's really quite a story. But, you know, this is like, this. Berlin is where a lot, a lot of this is known because that was their story of Berlin, you know, where surveillance is the most surveillance, uh, surveillance capital of the world. So... They, well, you know. just another reason to um, to develop your own inner guidance so that you have the ability to discern between truth and fiction. Exactly. I mean, that's what it's come down to, right? This last year, what is truth? Well, that's where, but that's going within. That takes some inner exploration, right? And then we're talking back about the Kundalini and like the fear of opening that up you know, and if you're not well-grounded, you know. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I know that, like, much more recently, women are having kundalini openings all everywhere, and it's all a beautiful experience. So that's, I think, what's going on. The vibration has gone high enough that, you know, the collective, it's a collective, it's a quantum leap now, you see. The, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, those of us on the cutting edge, you know, it was very difficult. You know, I was working with a shaman. Uh, we were doing um, sweat lodges in, in France, you know. And, I mean, this, this was like there were all these kind of shamans running around in Paris that just, it was all talk. The French is so much in the head. So we were like, he wanted me to come over and help him bust these shamans. <laughs> And then we had this sweat lodge in Brittany, and we did some, um, you know, but it was hard. I mean, you know, it almost killed me. So this was like the idea. I mean, he would explain it like there's a grid around the collective. And, of course, all this deep state, you know, works within that, right, to create this grid, support the grid. And it's like busting through the grid. That's really what it felt like in those days, you know. So somehow in the 60s, and that was, um, there was a stellium, you know, a bunch of planets in Aquarius in 1962, right? And there was the Beatles. But that was, that was, you know, that was one of the collective opening. But that's, can you hold on to that? So the same thing with the Kundalini uh, awakening. You know, you have that awakening, or even through drugs or whatever, but can you sustain it, you see? So this is the same thing as in the individual as in the culture, that we have these waves, but can it be sustained? Because then, and then the people that come up during those waves, if they're not well grounded, they're not focused or whatever, they don't have funding, which was always my problem, then they um, disappear. So this is what's going on, you know. Hopefully. Well, it's it's an interesting time to be here, and um, yeah. it's it's up to all of us to share the information that we have. Um, 
because we are, in fact, on the same path with all the people who've gone before us on this journey, all the people who are currently on this journey, and all the people in the future who will be on this journey. We're all working together in the quantum field, and because of that fact, anything can happen. Well, that's a great place to end it, right? I mean, that's just what I want to say is that you had to go into the mystery schools. You had to be a novice. Of course, women weren't allowed in, you know, and now you can get all this information freely available on the Internet. I'm actually doing writing now. I'm, I, I, I'm publishing a Kundalini handbook. I'm calling still. Fantastic. Yeah, because it's the idea of we have to just get still. If we can get still and allow these inner um, phenomenon to take place, that's the real transformation. It's exactly, in a way, the opposite of what we've been told, especially women. We have to go out there and be active. We've got to make things happen. No, we just have to go within. You know, the universe is within. This is what the sages have always told us. But the tools for sustaining that, you know, are freely available. And here I'm putting it out there, you know. This is, I have six golden rules that I've been giving, um, teaching, giving in my, you know, when I do astrology readings, that really, if you follow these rules, you know, you can get, get into the transcendence of it, right? You know, that's really, uh, yeah. Really valuable information. Lisa, how can people get a hold of you, um, both for astrology readings and also to find out more about your work? Um, just through my email uh, or through Facebook. I'm, j- I'm online. I'm very easily to- easy to find. Um, I haven't- we'll have all that information with your bio. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, put, well, it'll be in the bio, and and we could something you write in conjunction with these podcasts, right? I'll I'll give you some links. Um, Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I really love astrology. I stopped doing it for many years. Again, I had to keep that hidden because I didn't want to be known as a fortune teller who writes criticism. You know. Um, <laughs> well, I was called that once. And, wow. You know, yeah. Then, then I brought I brought astrology into um, continental philosophy. Basically, I'm sure I'm the only person who's ever done a dissertation with astrology charts in it. Um, so that was uh, that allowed me. Now I can go to the academy and and say I'm an astrologer. You know, even though I, I still don't try not to use that word, it still has an association that people. Um, recoil something about maybe i've had that's where you asked me earlier before we started recording about the science of magic i'm calling it science of magic which is about learning how to tune yourself to these cosmic forces you know and of course astrology and this goes back before the greeks you know i mean but the greeks that was the greek system was calling these uh, planets gods and then, you know, how they interact with each other is the myths. That's what astrology is. It's about the patterns of these interrelationships between the planetary forces. And as long as I'm talking about that, I'll just say that that's the big shift taking place now. 
anybody's listening that isn't following astrology, it was the Pluto-Saturn conjunction on the 10th, uh, right, right with an eclipse. So this is very rare. Actually, the last time Saturn and Pluto have been conjunct in Capricorn was 15, I forget the year now, but it was when Luther nailed the proclamations to the church door. So that was the whole Protestant Reformation. So this is a huge shift, finally, you know, happening that's going to really, I mean, this is the real paradigm shift, as you had said really eloquently. So I'm just giving like sort of an astrological uh, backdrop to that. Well, I'm ready. I'm sure you are too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And here we're doing our part to have this conversation. I think we brought up some stuff that I've never seen before in any podcast um, anywhere, you know, about how this feminine energy, the goddess, has been repressed and then appropriated by men and called by many names, anything but the goddess, to um, establish their genius, you know. And um, this is you and I are taking that back, right? Aquarian women. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it, honestly, and and I've paid for it throughout my life, but um, it was never an issue. It was never an issue for me, and I'm not sure, you know, which parent I got that from or uh, where it came from. But um, you know, and and I've taken plenty of slugs. Uh, from the time I was a really little kid because I would not accept, uh, you know, being repressed or told no if it didn't make sense. There was just no way on earth. I mean, I went to Catholic Catholic grammar school. I got F's in conduct. And oh my, my, seventh grade, my seventh grade teacher said to me, Farrelletto, if you were a boy, meaning he would have gotten physical and 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 believe me, I wasn't so bad. I just was not interested in any kind of um, ridiculousness, for lack of a better word. Like, if it didn't make sense, I wasn't going to go along with you. And when he would say this to me or, and make me stand in the corner, he'd say, Farrelletto, if you were a boy, and I'd just look at him and say, but I'm not. You know, I mean, the logic was, I'm a girl. I'm not a boy. Maybe <laughs> I would say at that moment you realize your strength, you know. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. At two years old, it was there. I was always this way. So, um, you know, I, I, yeah, the boys definitely, everybody knew it. (laughs) Everybody knew it. Um, And the most important thing is I knew it. So, and I've paid a price. I've paid a price for that, but that's okay because um, it was important for me. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have really, well, we talked about how we're opposites because our charts are opposite, even though we're Aquarius. Uh, Yeah. It wasn't so clear to me. I, I had too much, there was too much going on, I think, in my environment with my father's work or something and things weren't so clear but that's the journey we have to go on right anyway i'm very grateful to you 
nobody's ever asked me to do a, a, a talk on Kundalini before, even though I put out this material for what, how long now? At least 10 years. And, um, you know. Well, the connection between Lee and your father is too, it's too big to, to not focus on, you know, that's, um, yeah, Amazing. My father, my father really got written out of history just the way a woman would. Isn't that interesting? It's a Scorpio. It's everything had to be in the dark somehow. So this is a really nice way of um for me of resurrecting my father, you know. That he really did all this pioneering work and never got any kind of credit for it. And um you know. Although, you know, it does come back to me in strange ways. When I got to Berlin, a filmmaker, an East German filmmaker contacted me. He wanted, uh, not video, it had to been film and, uh, of my father's encounter groups. Uh, he said my father's work, because he had this book called Growth Games. That's where he went on all these talk shows with this, promoting this book, uh, was used with East with the integration between East and West Germany. Wow, that was a shock to me to find out my father's work was used in integrated, you know, to integrate um, Germany. Uh, so, yeah, this is interesting how it comes back. You know, that was a real surprise for me with the Lee connection. So I guess that will keep happening. It's, it makes things interesting, um, always kind of mysterious, you know. Life has to have some mystery, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us today, Lisa, and enjoy the sun in Aquarius. We have a few more weeks of uh, being in in our sun sign, in our element. Well, a few weeks for relaxation, and then it goes into Saturn, goes into Aquarius, and then we have to really work to get out there. So thank Um, you for being ahead of this curve. Um, You know, it's really amazing. We never met earlier, but I guess that was for a reason. And um, great. This has been great. So thank you. Thank you again, and um, we'll have you back. Okay, good. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Next time we'll read your chart and find out why you never (laughs) – that would be interesting. Okay. Well, what? What did you say? I said next well, time I could read your chart on the air. That would be interesting. Oh. <laughs> you find out. You said you don't know why. Well, astrology supposedly can tell you just about everything, except what sex you are. See? Your chart could be a man's chart. You don't know that when you read a chart. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, Okay. <laughs> Well, um, it's uh, just one final thought. It, it's interesting to me that you brought up Schopenhauer because I've read all of Schopenhauer. And oh God! No, no. When um, in my twenty, in my twenties, and I I lived in Manhattan for eighteen years, and I would read Schopenhauer on the number five bus because I lived on the Upper West Side. And I hated the subway, so I would take the bus all the way from Soho, where the number five bus began, up to Columbia University or Riverside Drive, or in my case, I lived on um, Claremont Avenue, which is where Manhattan School of Music uh, is. 
and um, at the time. And reading Schopenhauer, I felt like he was sitting in this big armchair just giving information, imparting wisdom to me, uh, you know, as you'd yeah. sit at, at the feet of a of wise grandfather. And reading Nietzsche, he described the exact same experience with Schopenhauer of having right. this image of Schopenhauer sitting in a chair, just giving him all this information. So, um, you know, I do believe that we're all being fed um, what we need as we need it. Yeah. So pay well, attention. Well, <laughs> pay attention, amazing. people. <laughs> yeah, and it's very amazing that we're having this talk, and I was doing tracing Schopenhauer up to my father. Now I could trace it with Lee and then you, right? I mean, now I've learned that you're so into Schopenhauer. So, yeah, there's a whole lineage there that's really, this. yeah, it's the, the idea of the genius, you know, that you have to do it on your own. And that's well, it's the only know. way, in my opinion, that you should do it because then you, you're you testing the information as it comes in. And, and, you know, truthfully, that's one of the problems with gurus. You know, they're transmitting their enlightenment to you. But, you know, what is the quality? What is the flavor of their enlightenment? There are all kinds of, you know, gradations of what we're receiving from another and um you know that's a whole other t topic of discussion for another interview <laughs> yeah because uh, no yeah but it's hard to stop this conversation because you just keep igniting new thoughts very aquarian but that's the thing the guru setup is very male i mean the woman's idea is about experience and you said testing it and so that's the body right but this is what's been totally you know, left out of Western tradition is the female body, this idea of experience, right? So this mm -hmm. is how we got where we are today. And the funny thing about Schopenhauer, I mean, he was he was born under a full moon. He was very connected to the feminine, you see? And so when he found this, this uh, Hinduism, you know, that's, it was the feminine experience, really, that he was transmitting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Funny, right? Mm -hmm. It's very ironic. Anyway, that's for another discussion. <laughs> Thank you again. Bye for now. All right. All right. Bye bye. <laughs>